Well, you got quiet real fast. <laughs> so good to see you greeting one another in Jesus' name. Uh, thank you for being here. Those of you that are joining us online, uh, welcome. We're so glad you're with us from wherever you are. And if you're in the cold Northeast, we pray for you. We're down here in Central Florida where it's uh, not cold, <laughs> very pleasant. So good to be together. Um, <clears throat> as I was preparing for this text that we'll be studying this morning, I started to do some reflecting and some pretty serious reminiscing of uh, some years ago. Uh, about 50 years ago, there was something um, that happened in this country. There was a movement called the Jesus Movement. I heard a woo. Does anybody remember that? Some of you are definitely old enough to remember something called the Jesus Movement. It was an unusual time, and it came in the midst of very turbulent times, very similar to the times that we are in right now. This country was incredibly divided over the Vietnam War. I mean, protesters, um, it was unbelievable. The 1968 Democratic Convention was a bloodbath between protesters and police. Uh, two million Vietnamese were killed during that war, and 58,000 of our American soldiers died in Vietnam. It was chaos. And some of us remember friends that uh, had went to war and never came back, or some of us had came close to having to go to Vietnam. I was one of them. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so there was, there was that going on, and, uh, and then there was this incredible division over race. Sound familiar? 1965, I lived in Detroit. I remember the race riots. And we all remember, as we think about this month, Black History Month, the assassination of Martin Luther King, one of the greatest uh, African-American preachers that ever was part of our country. And so there was chaos. And then there was this hippie movement from San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury, to New York's uh, Greenwich Village, where all these hippies were holding peace, not war signs. Uh, and with that, you know, the days of Woodstock, but with that came um, the, the introduction of psychedelic drugs, LSD, mescaline, and a bunch of other drugs uh, that people really got hooked on. It was rough stuff. And with that came the sexual revolution, right? Free love, right? You know, the Beatles started off singing naively, you know, I want to hold your hand, and, and later on we're singing songs like, let's just do it in the road. Oh my gosh. Where we had gone uh, as a culture was, was incredible. And yet, there was this movement. Something was happening. There was this wind blowing across the country where God's spirit started to move. And these hippies that were holding you know, peace not war signs started to find peace and true love in a relationship with Jesus Christ, of all things, right? And thousands of young people started to find Christ and to receive him as their savior. And they began to spread the word. I mean, they were, it was contagious. They couldn't stop but tell other people. You would see people on the beaches, cold turkey, going up to people. Do you know if, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? 
or at bus stops or malls, uh, there was a boldness in sharing Christ. Coffee shops popped up from coast to coast, inviting people in to listen to some new songs about Jesus. And people came to Jesus. Bill Bright, who is the founder of uh, Campus Crusade, which some of you are a part of, uh, he set a goal that in 1976, they would try to get the gospel to everybody in the United States. And by 1980, the entire world. So there was this passion to share Christ. There were new songs coming. Contemporary music, Christian music was born during the Jesus movement. Yeah, a bunch of long-haired hippies used to play rock and roll, started writing lyrics about Jesus and his love. It was amazing. It was an amazing time. People started reading the Bible. I mean, Bible sales were up. People were hungry to get into God's word. And there was also a passion or a, a growing anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. Some of you might remember Hal Lindsey wrote a bestseller back then called The Late Great Planet Earth. In fact, uh, uh, through friends of mine, we were able to have some connections. We brought Hal Lindsey to the Palm Beach Auditorium. 7,000 people showed up to hear his message, and many, many people came to Christ. It was an amazing time. Time magazine wrote about the Jesus movement in an article uh, called The Psychedelic Jesus. And it starts off with this publication or a quote from an underground Christian newspaper. And it went this way. Wanted Jesus Christ, alias the Messiah, the Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, etc. Notorious leader of an underground liberation movement. Wanted for the following charges. Practicing medicine winemaking, and food distribution without a license, interfering with businessmen in the temple, associating with known criminals, radicals, and subversives, prostitutes, and street people, claiming to have authority to make people into God's children. His appearance, typical hippie type, long hair, beard, robe, sandals, hangs around slum areas, few rich friends, often sneaks out into the desert from time to time. Beware. This man is extremely dangerous. His insidious, insidiously inflammatory message is particularly dangerous for young people who haven't been taught to ignore him yet. He changes men and women and claim to set them free. Warning, he is still at large. He is still at large, absolutely. So this was an amazing time. Uh, and, and it changed a lot of people's lives. Um, I'm going to show you a video clip that goes back around the early 1970s and gives you a feel and a sense of what was happening in this country as God's Spirit moved. And you know, when God's Spirit moves in any generation, it's never the same. He doesn't carbon copy. What happened then isn't going to be exactly because the Holy Spirit is creative. And if the Holy Spirit chooses to move among us in these troubled and turbulent times, it may look different, but something will not be different. And that is the consistent message that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again and gives eternal life to those who believe. That message is still the same. So go back in time a little bit and enjoy this video. 
of identification totally and completely with his death, with his burial, with his resurrection. The water is actually a symbol of the grave, the old life, all of the past to be buried here today. Son of God. 
this video really moves me personally. I was about 19 years old at the time, and uh, I was uh, I was a kind of a surf bum, and for me, you know, hippie flower child, yeah, believe it or not, that was me. And uh, my life was all about chasing waves and other things, right? And me and buddy, a couple of buddies of mine, you know, we would leave Florida and we'd spend the summers in California surfing and life was good, you know, no, no responsibilities. Um, but there was something missing in my life. I knew that there was kind of a hole in my soul. I'm doing everything I could possibly dream of, um, but something was missing. Well, I was having a surfboard made at a, a place in Encinitas, California, the Sunset Surf Shop. And the owner of the surf shop invited me to a Bible study. It's like, okay. So I kind of got introduced to that. And he was obviously a follower of Jesus. And, and then later on, we uh, met some girls in LA and uh, they took us to church. Not what we were expecting. Uh, they took us to a place called Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. That's what you saw on the screen. That was Calvary Chapel, California. And that's where it all really began for me. It started to come together. And uh, I gave my life to Jesus in that point. Things really started to change pretty radically. What I found was my uh, my my relationships started to broaden a bit from four but surfing buddies to all these newfound friends that I started hanging around with that were very different than I was, but felt this common bond by the Spirit of God. I started attending some Bible studies and, and, and I was so excited about this newfound faith. I wanted to share it with other people. I was a pretty quiet person, but I, I wanted to share Jesus. So I would, we were living in Fort Lauderdale at the time, and I used to load up my van with, with people that I would meet, say, you gotta come to this place in West Palm Beach called the One Way House. It was a ministry in West Palm Beach, a student ministry or something, and we would get there and all these people would gather and we'd be singing these new Jesus songs and we would join hands and, and this was the signal back then, One Way. If you remember, there was bumper stickers, one way, Jesus Christ, uh, the only way. And so those were amazing days. And, and I literally, to show you how crazy I was, I was surfing in Mexico. Loved it. It was beautiful. Best waves I ever rode. And I made a decision to go to a four-year Bible college in Florida. It's like, who does that? Uh, that would be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that would, would change me. And that's where I met my wife, who was on another fast track. She was working for TWA, and the Holy Spirit moved into her life. And we met in Bible school, and the rest is history. Those were amazing times, and that was 50 years ago. 50 years ago, here in Central Florida, there were some other people that were being moved by God's Spirit to get together. And they formed a church called Northland. Yes, and some of you were probably there in those early days. You know, my prayer has been, just in the last few weeks, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. Pour out your spirit. Let us see people come to Jesus and let us be the instruments 
for that to happen. Well, we're in the book of Acts, and we're going to be taking a look at the first Jesus movement 2,000 years ago. And as you recall from the last couple of weeks, just as Jesus promised, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So these 120 people are gathered in this room praying, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They start speaking another language, the message of the gospel. Peter gets up and preaches a sermon, and they're cut to the heart, and 3,000 people come to Jesus in one day. People of all different, from all different places, all different kinds, all of a sudden there is this new community formed. These people who were very different were calling each other brothers and sisters. Imagine that. God had created the church. It was born 2,000 years ago. So they began to meet together because they were together. They were united in Christ and they began to meet together. And they practiced four things that kept them united in Jesus. And we're going to take a look at our text this morning. It's in Acts chapter 2. If you would stand as I read this text together from God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, proceed, the proceeds to all as any had need. Day after day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Jesus, would you take these words inspired by your Holy Spirit and would you bring them to us afresh today in the times in which we live we thank you for your Holy Spirit who illuminates us, who awakens us to who Jesus is. And so, Father, we trust you in these moments as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, have a seat. What I first want you to notice in this text, it says, and they. Who's the they? Well, the they refers back to the 3,000 believers who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 44, all who had believed were, here's the word, together and had all things in common. And in verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. Together. You know, if anything... COVID did is it really hurt us in the terms of being together, right? Uh, times of isolation. Uh, it's just obviously physically people got sick, uh, but, but as a community, it was devastating to be apart and not being able to be together. And, um, and how important it is to be together. You know, there was a, a preacher old country preacher one time, he noticed that one of his congregants, you know, hadn't been shown up in quite a while, and he lived kind of out in the country. 
And so he figured, all right, I'm going to go pay him a visit, see how he's doing. So he goes out to his house, and, you know, they sit down in front of the fireplace that's, uh, that's glowing. And uh, the preacher reaches in with some tongs and gets a red-hot coal and takes it out, and he lays it up on the hearth. And together they watch it just turn into a pile of white ashes. And the congregant says, I'll be in church on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Some of you still barbecue with charcoal. You know what you do? You pile all those coals up together, right? Put the lighter fluid on, and you watch them as they are together. They generate heat together. And that's the picture here, the need to be together. Because there is a witness that creates a witness. Let me say that again. There is a witness that creates a witness. And that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. This unity, this togetherness, this alignment, having things in common was projected a witness about the gospel. So important. So, so that's something for us to think about, right? Um, those of you that are online, we're, thank you, we're so thankful that you are with us. But we hope and pray that you also have a group of friends and people that you're gathering together with, other believers. Um, I know I've talked to a lot of people since COVID. You know, we kind of got comfortable worshiping online, right? I've talked to a couple people who said, you know, I think we probably should start going back now, <laughs> right? Sure, sure. We need to be together. Paul talks about the church as a body, right? Fitly joined together as each part does its work. In fact, there's a direct command in the book of Hebrews where the author says, um, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but encourage one another daily all the more as you see the day approaching. And I think about the all the more part, and obviously referring to the coming of Jesus in turbulent times. If ever there was a time the church needs to be together, to be red hot coals together, to be of that witness, it's today. We need to be together. And so what do we do together? Well, four practices. These are four practices that are mentioned in this text that the early church practice consistently. In fact, the word devoted to is in the imperfect tense. It implies that they gave continuous attention to. It was ongoing, reoccurring, and habitual. So like, you know, coming to church on Christmas and, and Easter ain't enough. <laughs> That's for sure. We need to be together consistently. So first of all, what they did together is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. So Jesus, before he left and promised the Holy Spirit coming, he said that the Holy Spirit would bring to mind and to remembrance to these apostles everything that Jesus had taught. All the stories, the parables, the miracles, that the Holy Spirit would remind them of those things and empower them to teach the Bible, to teach what things that Jesus taught them. And then the Holy Spirit would work in some of these uh, writers of the New Testament that would be inspired by God to give us what we have today is the, the completed Bible, Old and New Testament. 
that we are committed to, to follow and to read and to study. In Acts chapter 6, I want you to see this connection. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. There was a direct connection of the teaching of the word of God and those that were coming to faith in Jesus. That was true in the Jesus movement. People were diving into the Bible and teaching it to others in Bible studies and what have you. And, and because of that, people were coming to faith in Jesus. And so, so what were they teaching? Well, if you do an interesting study in the book of Acts, there's a number of sermons Peter preaches, uh, Stephen and Paul later on. If you look at those sermons, there is a, uh, kind of a consistent theme or there are certain things that are consistent through all of those sermons. Three things in particular. One, the conviction of sin. When Jesus was talking about and promising the Holy Spirit to come, he says, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's not a popular message, right? Especially in this day, right? Sin, we don't even hear that word hardly anymore. Conviction, judgment, what? Oh, it's all good, right? No, the Holy Spirit says things are not all good, right? You know, you can't understand the good news of the gospel until you understand the bad news, right? That we all fall short of the glory of God. And we really deserve judgment. So there was this conviction of sin. In fact, in uh, Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached that sermon, remember the response of the people? He preached that, you know, you killed Jesus. You were the ones that said, crucify him. And, and he died and buried and, and he rose again. And it says that they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart about what they had done. And that led them to believe in the resurrected Christ. There was a proclamation consistent throughout those sermons about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, Paul, when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he kind of boiled down the message of the gospel to that very thing, that Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, died and was buried and rose again. I did a funeral yesterday for, for, for a lady and uh, we rested on that point of the hope of the gospel, that to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord because Jesus Christ faced death. He is the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me has everlasting life. That was the message. That is our message to carry. And then in these sermons, you also find this need for, what are you going to do with that message? A response or an invitation to believe. In Acts 2, 3,000 people convicted by the Holy Spirit, hearing the message of the gospel, said, we want to receive Jesus as our Savior. That was the essence of, of what they were teaching and far many, many other things. And so we, as we gather together, one of the things we do together is we study God's word here in small groups, however, we study God's word. Very important for us to feed on God's word. Second thing is fellowship. Fellowship is the word koinonia. It appears about 20 times in the New Testament. 
Sometimes it's translated communion, sharing, partnership. Sound like a togetherness thing, right? Uh, we were just worshiping and talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our God exists as a community. Three persons in one. We were created out of that community. Three persons in the Trinity. And so we were created for community. Not to be alone, but to be in community. Because this Trinity is the one who created this one body of believers. And it's challenging, isn't it? Right? It's challenging uh, to really be one, to be together. Because we're all kind of, you know, we got our stuff. Um, Ruth Haley Barton says this, and it's a, it's a little, kind of stings a little bit. It says, community is the most over-promised and under-delivered aspect of the church today. Wow. We hear a lot about it. But are we really together? Are we really, are we really one? You know, 60 times in the New Testament, he uses this phrase, one another. One another, one another. Forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. All these exhortations are designed uh, to care for one another, to be with one another. And yet that can be hard sometimes, right? Because the truth of the matter is, you know, we're like porcupines on a cold winter night. There's part of us that longs to be close to one another, but there's another part like, you know, if I let you get too close, you know, you're probably not going to like me or see something or I'll see something in you. And, and so we play this, do this dance, right? And I was uh, listening to a friend, a mentor from for years ago, um, Dr. Allender and Larry Crabb wrote a book years ago in the 70s, actually, called Encouragement, the Key to Caring. And the essence of that book was that, you know, we all kind of have these layers, like Adam had layers on him. Uh, we all have layers, self-protection. We don't want to let people get too close to us because they really knew us. Eh. And yet, true encouragement comes when we can be vulnerable, when we can even be broken with one another, and love each other, accept one another in that, um, that does the most to change us. So we are to be in the fellowship. More than just, you know, having cookies and donuts, but actually connecting in some deep kind of ways. The next one is the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. And with that, I am going to head down to the communion table. And uh, if you're online and um, you'd like to break bread with us, we encourage you to get some crackers or something like that, some juice. Those of you here, if you have a cup, or if you don't have a cup that you, when you came in, raise your hand up and somebody will get one to you right away. So I'm lighting these candles, not because it's dark in here. And there's three of them. Representing God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But also reminding us that Jesus is the light of the world. Reminding us also that he is indeed with us. In this text it says, the breaking of bread. The word the is there to kind of distinguish 
the difference between, well, you got together and had a meal together, which is great, and they did that. They even had love feasts in those days. Another hand over here. They had love feasts, and a part of those love feasts, and gathering together around meals, they would take a moment and they would break, they would break bread together. They would actually uh, remember what Jesus had taught them. In Luke 22, if you'll recall that, Jesus was with his followers uh, at the Passover meal. And at that Passover meal, um, to their surprise, and Jesus did something different, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And at the end of that meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, drink this in remembrance of me. And so Jesus instituted the breaking of bread for us to remember him. Some of you might know it in a different term, maybe communion, the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist. But it is the breaking of bread. It's the time where we remember Jesus Christ. I think of the, the two men that were walking on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus in Luke 24. Luke writes about these two men that, you know, they're kind of down and out, you know. They're kind of walking with their heads down and they're commiserating over what had happened in the last week about Jesus being arrested and dying. And then Jesus kind of joins them. They don't know it's Jesus. And they're going on and on and Jesus starts talking. He starts talking about Old Testament scriptures and how they point to Christ. And they're still not getting it, right? They're still walking. Finally, they get to this place, probably the end of day, and, you know, and uh, they're going to take some time to rest, whatever. And Jesus is going to go off, and they say, hey, why don't you just stick with us here, okay? So they, I'm assuming they sat down for a bite to eat. Jesus broke the bread. And when he broke the bread, their eyes were opened. Then they knew it was Jesus that was with them. Maybe you're here this morning in this room or online, and maybe for the very first time, you're starting to see the lights go on. And the Holy Spirit is awakening you, and you're becoming aware of the fact that that which you have chased after, after uh, is not satisfying to you. Maybe you're in a place where you realize that if you were to die today, you're not sure where you'd end up. I would encourage you right now as we partake of this bread and of this wine, in this moment, you can receive Jesus Christ. You can trust him, and he will give you eternal life. You might want to pray a prayer to yourself along the lines of, Lord, I've been, I've been searching, and, and I'm not finding what I'm looking for. <laughs> Um, some things in my life that I'm not proud of. Um, now I realize that you gave your life for me and I want to trust you as my Savior. If you're doing that this morning, online or here in this room, we'd love to invite you to this table, this family table, to take part with us. So we come to this table. We come to this table broken, don't we? Right? We're all broken in some ways. We have broken relationships. We've, we've broken promises. 
um, we've sinned against others, others have sinned against us, right? We're broken people. And it's here, it's here in the breaking of bread that we become whole in Jesus Christ. It's in him that we have this complete forgiveness of sin. It is here that we have been reconciled to God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So to do so, if you'll take your cups or whatever you have there, and you will peel back that first layer and uncover the, the wafer there. And I am reading from 1 Corinthians 11, where the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. about that second layer. In the same way, he took the cup. And after cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we're together in this room and online. The togetherness that could never have happened apart from the movement of your spirit in our hearts to draw us to Jesus Christ, to recognize our need for him, the need for cleansing, and so, Jesus, we thank you for going all the way to the cross and uttering those words, it is finished, paid in full. So, Jesus, we give you thanks. In response, we give you our lives that you purchased with your own blood, that we might be your people united together and be a witness to a world that desperately needs you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Speaking of prayer, that was the last thing on our list of things that the early church practiced on an ongoing, continuous basis. And they were kind of accustomed to praying together. The, particularly the Jews in Jerusalem, they would gather sometimes three times a day for times of prayer. Uh, David even said in the Psalms, evening and morning and at noon will I cry aloud to the Lord. So it was very customary for them to have it as a habit of life to be praying. We surely see this in the, in the book of Acts. There was 120 people gathered in a room praying when the Holy Spirit came down and filled the room. We see more examples of that. We see they were needing wisdom. We have to replace Judas. So they prayed and the Holy Spirit 
pointed to Matthias as the replacement. Well, persecution started, and we'll talk about that next week. Once they started to get bold with their voice, the persecution started. And what we see happening as that started, instead of them just, you know, hightailing it somewhere, they actually got together and they prayed for what? Boldness, so they can keep preaching and teaching. Later on, we see Peter in jail for preaching the gospel, right? What are the saints doing? They're praying. They're praying together. And the prison doors open by the Holy Spirit's power. Of course, the jailer was like, ah, freaking out. I'm going to get in trouble. What must I do to be saved? Peter says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Dallas Willard says this about prayer in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines. He says, prayer with frequency gives us the readiness to pray again as needed from moment to moment. The more we pray, the more we think to pray as we see results of prayer, the responses of our Father to our requests, our confidence in God's power spills over into all areas of our life. That's so true. You know, I'm deeply thankful for folks here at Northland who are committed to prayer. I see my brother over there, Nick, my governing elders and his family. Those folks call us to prayer. They believe in prayer. Pastor Gus and Jenaba have been calling us to prayer. Um, oh my goodness, I pray that there would be a, a prayer movement because when we pray, God hears us and God could do it again. So let's join our hearts and pray, to pray without ceasing. And as they did these four things, apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, they were filled with awe of the things that God was doing. Their hearts became generous. They started selling property. Hey, you need something, Ty? Hey, we got some stuff here, you need it? Because they saw themselves as family. Things were changing. And guess what? More people were coming to Jesus because of it. Because of their witness, there was a witness. We want to take these final moments to do, guess what? Pray. So we have some kneelers up front. If you would like to come and, and kneel up here, you can surely pray in your seats. And those folks online, you can surely be praying at home or wherever you are. We want to take a moment to pray. And maybe... Maybe today was the first day that you received Jesus and you need somebody to pray with you. You know, you can just raise your hand and say, somebody come and pray with me. Or maybe you have a personal prayer need that's just weighing on you right now and you'd like somebody to pray. Somebody can come to you and you can pray together. Or others of you might just want to come here or in your seats to pray about somebody who's been on your mind who doesn't know Jesus. And I was reading about Hudson Taylor and a uh, guy who just God used to reach thousands of people in China. And at 17 years old, he was, uh, his mom was off praying for him. And she came back and he had gotten a book from his, from his dad's library and this phrase jumped out at him. 
the finished work of Christ. It was like a light filled his soul and he came to Jesus. Later, he found out that his sister out of, in one of her journals was praying for him too. So maybe you have somebody on your heart that you know, that you love, um, or maybe somebody at Publix, who, who knows, that you could start praying for by name that they would come to Christ. Pray for Northland. Pray for Northland that we would be open. And whatever would be in the way would be removed so that we could have the fullness of all that Jesus Christ provided for us through the Holy Spirit. Pray for our country, whatever God brings to your life. So I'm going to ask you to come. Come on up if you want to or stay where you're seated. Come and let's just spend some time quietly and in prayer. Come if you so desire.